On November 26, 2003, the town of Chesney, South Carolina, saw its largest mass murder ever. Four people were shot to death at Superbike Motorsports, a local motorcycle dealership and service center. After committing these grisly murders, the killer went back and shot each victim once in the head and chest, just to be sure. A self-proclaimed serial killer and rapist has confessed to these crimes, but many doubt his guilt in this particular case. Todd Culhelp is guilty of murder, but is he guilty of these? Welcome to Fact and Suspicion. I'm your host, Dan, here with my co-host, Ben. Nope. And today we're going to be discussing the Superbike Motorsports murders in Chesney, South Carolina. And it, well, really, we're discussing more than just that. Like, you ever start discussing a case because there's like a little interesting twist in it, and then get into a rabbit hole, and you have like a whole another case that goes with it. Quite a few times, yeah. actually. Though I'm not familiar with this case at all, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I'm familiar with it, and I'm not sure. Okay, so I knew about the Superbike murders from a long time ago. I don't know if I saw it on like Unsolved Mysteries or Oxygen, some show on there, but I, I knew about it, right? And I knew someone had confessed, and I also knew about. Todd Culhep, like separately, because because he is a, a, a killer like on his own without that stuff. Right, right. But I, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize they were connected at the time. But uh, yeah, when I was looking into it, I got Todd Culhep, and then went back all of that. It, there's a lot of stuff we can get to, so you guys just buckle up. We'll see how long this takes. All right, I'm not familiar with him either, so yeah, well, this will all be new to me. <laughs> there, there's some times you'll probably be shocked in this. Then, so if you don't It'll take you a lot after all the shit we've covered, man. All right, so like I said, November 26, 2003, you have four people murdered uh, at Superbike Motorsports. Now, this is a business owned by Scott Ponder, and um, he also had, he was 30 years old. He had a good friend named Brian Lucas who worked there as a service manager. He was also 30. Okay. Uh, Scott's mother, um, Beverly Guy. 52 years old. She worked there keeping books. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he had a mechanic that worked there named Chris Sherbert. He was 26. All four of them were murdered. Right. Um, now, what? how this happened or how you know things were discovered is a man named Noel Lee, who was a friend of Scott and Brian's, mm-hmm. he uh, called over to the shop that morning. And he talked to Beverly and said, hey, I've got some tickets for this bike race coming up this weekend. Uh, can I bring them by, you know, Scott and Scott and Brian there? She said, yeah, they're both here. Why don't you come on in and uh, you can bring them by. He said, sure. And so he went and uh, apparently he took a shower and about 30 minutes later, he got there. When he walks up, he finds Scott and Brian dead in the parking lot. Had they been shot? Had been shot. Yeah. Um, like he said, even at first when he walked up, he thought they were just laying there like trying to prank him or something. And then he saw all the blood and he flipped out and he, um, he ran inside and found Beverly dead inside, and he was going in to get the phone, and uh, he he picked a phone called nine one one, and told them what happened. And the nine one one operator had him go outside and wait across the street because the murderer could still be there. Right. Now, um, obviously, the first thing is Noel is suspected. So let me ask a question before we get to that. Um, did did it look like there was a a fight, a struggle of any sort? Or no, they taken by surprise. Uh, looks like probably taken by surprise. Now it does look like Brian and Scott tried to run though. Okay. So, um, now Chris was found in the garage. So maybe he was shot first and then those two were trying to run and were shot. And, okay. and then the killer went inside and shot uh, Beverly. Gotcha. Okay. Also, uh, inside there was an envelope full of money that was just found sitting there in plain sight. Killer that didn't was, take it? was not taken. 
Um, also, so so uh, as as I said, you know, Noel was suspected first because right. he found him. Uh, the police thought it was really suspicious that he went in to use the phone when he had a cell phone on him. Yeah, that is odd. Uh, but he he said he just like panicked and forgot he had a cell phone. This was back in two thousand and three. You know, he, a lot of times people had cell phones for like emergencies and didn't even use them that much. So yeah, I could see that. Could he may have just ran in to grab the phone. I think I got my first cell phone around two thousand three. Right. So. so so it's hard to say. I I hate to. The police ended up you know clearing him of this, even though he didn't really have an alibi. Um, suspicious that he like called before before he came down. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some people said him taking the shower was suspicious, like he killed him and then tried to clean it off or something. But uh, the, really, the Is time there frame. Any evidence he took the shower like after finding them? No, no. But uh, I mean, he would have to. He took the shower before he called, obviously. But maybe, like you know, some people thought maybe he killed them, went home, took the shower, then came back. Okay, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but the, the time frame, like with other people that been in the shop, don't it doesn't seem to line up that way. And the police really cleared him. They didn't suspect him at all. But it, they they did it first. They looked at him. Yeah, they cleared him. Yeah. Um, there were some other leads. There were uh, a man and woman who were known drug addicts. Uh, they were seen around the time of the murders in the drug addicts would have taken the money. Exactly right. Let's um, be real. Well, maybe they didn't know that money was there. I don't know, but they, they looked at them. It didn't go anywhere. Um, there was uh, there were some cars seen in the parking lot that day or near the parking lot. Uh, there was a red pickup with chrome side rails and a small blue sort of sporty looking pickup. Neither of those ever turned up any lead, but there's also a boxy red car that could have been a Honda Civic, Chevy Cavalier, or an Oldsmobile Alero. And these are just vehicles that were seen by, uh, by eyewitnesses yeah, in the area? Okay. in the area. I think most of them actually in the parking lot. Now, the Alero actually turned up a lead because... Uh, <laughs> Just a few months earlier, there was a bank robbery. Okay. Um, now, we'll get into that in just a second, but I do want to say that there was one last person to see them alive in the shop, uh, and that man gave a description of another guy he saw in there. He said he was a 25 to 40-year-old man, short blonde hair, and the guy didn't seem to know a lot about bikes. He thought it was odd, and the guy kind of gave him a weird vibe because he didn't know a lot about bikes. He was going to talk about bikes, right? Okay. Um, now the car, uh, an Oldsmobile Alero, just uh, a few months before this, there was a bank robbery. Um, and this was at the Blue Ridge Savings in Greer, South Carolina. Uh-huh. Uh, now that day about one thirty PM, it's, this is in May, May uh-huh. 16th, uh, about one thirty PM, the police get an alarm from the Blue Ridge Savings, uh, possible robbery. So they go out to check it out, and they find three bodies. You've got um, Sylvia Holtzclaw, who is the teller. She's dead. And there are two local teachers, uh, Eb and Maggie Barnes, were both in there, and they were both killed. So it's thought that someone went in there to rob the bank and was surprised by Eb and Maggie and shot all three people. Now, you do have uh, a very similar red, boxy-looking car approaching uh, that you can see on a gas station's uh, surveillance camera right before this mm-hmm. and leaving right after. Did the ballistics match? Well, they don't... Sort of. The, the, the ballistics did not match the um, the killing from... Uh, excuse me, from the motorcycle shop. No. Right. But uh, let's, let's get into this for a second, though. Uh, there were some ballistics that did kind of match a, a suspect here. Okay. So these people were shot with a forty caliber Glock. Okay. And 
there was a red Oldsmobile Alero that had just very recently before this robbery been stolen from a local car lot. And they know who stole it because this man, his name was Emerson Wright, actually took his sister's car, drove it into the fence, crashed it into the fence of the car lot, left that car there, went and stole the Alero and drove it off. Wow. And they suspected him. Not exactly. A criminal mastermind. They, they suspected him for this. And, you know, they wanted to question him in connection with the Superbike murders as well because of that car. Right. Um, now, he was known to have used a forty caliber Glock and some other robberies he committed. However, um, after this point, when police were looking for him, he actually left and relocated near Atlanta mm-hmm. and committed a string of burglaries around Atlanta. Then in 2005, while he was wanted in connection with those, um, he passed by a police checkpoint and actually fled officers instead of letting them check his ID, uh, was chased by a state trooper, crashed his car, got out of the car in front of the state trooper, shot himself in the head. Not exactly a law-abiding citizen. Then. No. And he was a suspect for mostly for the Blue Ridge uh, savings. Mm-hmm. But so they weren't convinced that the same person. They weren't convinced, but they were sort of connected with the car. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. But they weren't convinced, and they never could get a hold of the question until 2005 anyway. But let's talk about police's first big suspect they had here. Okay. And that is Scott's wife, Melissa. Really? Yes. Now, Scott Ponder, he was 30 years old. He had just found out that he and his wife were having a baby. Okay. He was super excited about it. You know, posting about it uh, online, stuff like that. He was he was very happy they were having a baby. He never saw the baby. The baby was not born until after he was murdered. But Melissa would come in all the time uh, to talk to police, you know, answer questions, try to find out what's going on. Okay. And she's still coming in after she had the baby. So one day she brings the baby in, changes the baby's diaper in the station, and just leaves the diaper in the garbage there. Police are wanting to kind of wonder about her relationship with Scott, and they think maybe there was some trouble or something. Oh, please, no. So they took the diaper from the garbage, and they DNA tested the baby's DNA the baby from the diaper his, to uh, to Scott. If this, the, the DNA they got from Scott's, um, from his autopsy, and it did not match. Mm. So then they tested it to Brian, his friend, and it matched Brian. Oh, good guy. So obviously they're like, you know, they approach Melissa and say, we know that this was Brian's baby, you know, tell us what's going on. And she denies it strongly. She says, there's no way that that is Scott's baby. I don't know what you're talking about. So they run a second test and they get the same results. So for 18 months, they're investigating her, trying to figure out like what's going on. And she quits talking to police about it because she's angry and says that this is Scott's baby. I don't know why you're talking to me about this. So was she in, was she just in complete denial here or? No. Okay. So 18 months later, police decide to kind of go back and check their work a little bit. So, remember, Scott's mother was also murdered. Right. So, they took their DNA sample of Scott and tested it to his murder, his mother's. And it didn't match either. It didn't match. Mm. So, they tested Brian's and it matched the mother. So, they, had a so they mixed up their own DNA samples and spent 18 months investigating oh, poor Melissa while they should have been looking for another killer. So, they lost a lot of time. A lot of time. Well, I'm not saying they, they didn't look into other people. They had a list of customers of the shop. They were calling, trying to interview. A lot of them never called back, though. Right. Obviously. So, you know, they were doing that. But I think they were more kind of set on Melissa at that time. After you find out something like that, mm-hmm. I can understand why that would skew their yeah. perception of the case. But really, you don't have a lot of other suspects. And listen, to be fair, you know, if they hadn't have absolutely screwed up and mix the two DNA samples up, 
you know, it's a reasonable assumption, right? Right. And that's that could be motive for a murder. Right. That that is that is right. Maybe. Um. Though it's strange if it had been Brian's murder, would she have murdered Brian and Scott both? Or had and both everyone murdered? else. Uh, yeah. Like, like, that you seems know, like overkill. Okay. She knew that all those people were going to be there. Why kill all of them? Right. Why not just, you know, have Scott die in like a motorcycle accident? Right. It seems like you could just poison your husband. Something. Yeah. yeah. Well, but obviously she wouldn't have done that anyway, apparently. Because right. She, right. Right. So, um. Was it this, this sort of went cold and, and uh, they didn't have any other leads until 2016 when Todd Kohlhepp confessed to this. Well, let's talk about how this happened. Okay. Because let's talk about Todd Kohlhepp and his past and how this all came to be. Because Todd Kohlhepp's pretty damn interesting. Was he on the radar for this crime at all before he confessed? He was on the list of customers they were supposed to contact, but he never called them back for an interview. Okay. So that's that's all. No, right. So, so he had at least some connection to the case. Yeah, he okay. did. Now let's talk about Todd Goldhep. In nineteen eighty six, when Todd was fifteen, he held a fourteen year old girl at gunpoint, tied her up and assaulted her, and then threatened to kill her family if she told. How old was he at the time? He was 15. She was 14. It's a troubled childhood. Apparently so. And uh, now she did go ahead and tell. And thank goodness, Todd went to jail for 15 years. Um, he actually pled guilty to kidnapping and did a plea deal uh, that he wasn't, um, uh, you know, he didn't. He was just kidnapping. It wasn't for the rape. Or right. right. So he went to jail for 15 years. Uh, he's released in 2001, at which point he moves to South Carolina because his mom's living in South Carolina at the time. Right. And Todd actually becomes a fairly successful realtor. Really? Uh, he has quite a bit of money. Yeah, he. I mean, he got a real estate license. He was on the sexual uh, offenders registry, but he still got, I don't know if that would keep him from getting a real estate license. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but he, he got a real estate license. And, uh, you know, he was... Selling houses, making a lot of money. He bought several properties. Mm -hmm. He actually bought a 94-acre property uh, for like $300,000. He had money to do stuff like that. So. Okay. So he's got money. Now. Definitely doing better than most people fresh out of prison. Uh, it seems. Well, I mean, you know, this is several years later. He got out in 2001 and uh, 2016 is when the next step happens. And at this point, he's got a lot of money. Okay. Right, so uh, Now. 30-year-old Kayla Brown and her boyfriend, Charles Carver, who was 32, went missing in 2016. Okay. Um, they were reported to police being missing. No one knew where they were. And police started looking into it. And Charles's Facebook profile starts making these really strange posts that seem weird. And people start to suspect that it's the killer just trying to throw them off. Okay. Um. He he posts stuff like you know nobody knows where we are but we're fine we're like you actually say we're fine in a post right, right, that's really weird right we're okay haven't um, been kidnapped or murdered or anything guys he posted like some cryptic stuff like like lyrics to Hotel California you know like you can check out anytime you like but you can't ever leave um yeah that's crazy for someone that's missing right okay uh so this actually gets national media attention because of these crazy Facebook posts and these missing people right uh, yeah and police are looking into it really. Hard. Um, you know, after a few weeks, people go over to check uh, Kayla and Charles' house because they're going to check on their dog and their little dog, Romeo. He's in rough shape, hasn't been fed and watered him forever. They take him, take care of the dog, um, but they never find him. 
so the police are looking into it and they start checking um, Kayla's cell phone. Now, she didn't seem to have any kind of location GPS service on that phone, mm-hmm. or at least not activated, so they couldn't track it exactly. But they were able to, you know, ping the tower that it was last seen on. Okay. And it was last seen near Woodruff, uh, South Carolina. And How far is this away from where they live? Honestly, I'm not sure. It's not too far away. Okay. Uh, but I just know it was in a town called Woodruff. Okay. And Woodruff is a pretty small place. And police get a tip, and it's from some rumor, which honestly would usually not hold up, right? Right. Um, and this tip says that Kayla's body is buried somewhere on a hundred acre farm in Woodruff. So that kind of goes with this cell phone ping they're getting. So they contact local police in Spartanburg County and they say, you know, where could this be? And they say, well, there's only one hundred acre property around this area. Right there is it down. And it's, uh, it belongs to Todd Coleb. Now, Todd owned a 100-acre property there, but he didn't live on it. He had another house uh, that he lived in in uh, Spartanburg, I believe it was. Okay. Um, he just kept this property like his investment. It had like a barn and storage stuff on it, stuff like that. Okay. So that's not the, the tip, obviously, is not enough to get a warrant. So they look into his cell phone records, though, and they find out that around the time she went missing, his cell phone is pinging off that same tower as hers. And that's enough to get the warrant. Okay. So instead of just the property up there, they execute warrants on that and his house at the same time. So just curiosity, he lived in that area or had the property was in that area, right? Mm-hmm. How does that give them probable cause for a warrant? I mean, Because he, he didn't live there, though. Oh, okay, okay. Right? He didn't live in that property. So the fact that he was there in that area is the same time as her when she went missing. Mm-hmm. That's enough to get a warrant at least to do a search. And he was probably the one who was tipping them off in the first place, wasn't he? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. I mean, maybe. Maybe. But you would think the fact that he's trying so hard to throw them off by making these posts, right? Right. right. That, that he wouldn't. Because it's, it's Todd doing that. You know, he's logged into Charles' Facebook. It's so stupid. Um, at any rate, they're, they're searching his home and they're searching uh, the, I'll call it the farm. It wasn't really a farm, but I'll call it the farm for these purposes, 100-acre property, right? the 94-acre property. And... um. While they're searching that property, they go in this building, kind of like a barn sort of building, and they find a bed in one room with chains around it. Oh, dear God. And uh, then they hear like some knocking coming from this uh, storage building he had. It's, it's like a shipping container that's turned to storage building, you know. And they go out to it and they hear screaming coming from it. They open up the shipping container and Kayla's inside chained like a dog around the neck. She's been there for two months. And she tells them what's happened to her, that uh, she and her, her, uh, her boyfriend, Charles were uh, hired by Todd to come up there and clear some brush. Apparently she worked for Todd quite often. He's a realtor and she would clean houses for him that he was selling. Um, and this was just kind of a normal thing. And he hired them to come up there and clear some brush off his property. And when he met them up there, he shot Charles to death and took Kayla hostage and sort of turned her into a sex slave. He would keep her chained up in that, you know, dark, um, closed up shipping container, which, you know, in August, September in South Carolina, I don't know how hot it got in that place. Yeah. Um, torture, right? And then he would come get her twice a day, take her out, feed her, let her bathe, and just kind of have his way with her. And um, oh, that's horrific, man. Yeah, and according to um, her, she told police that Todd had informed her that he had killed several other people. Told her he was a serial killer, that he had 
he was he had killed a number of people in the high double digits, and he was hoping to get into the triple digits soon. So what confuses me here is who would have known that she was on that property, dead or alive? That was I. You know, I think maybe it was just a crazy rumor they heard that may have not had anything to do with it. Maybe he ran his mouth or something. Maybe he ran his mouth, but then again, maybe someone just made that crap up, or they just, some people just been talking about it. That'd be and it one just hell happened of a coincidence. Like it that. would be, but they had the cell phone pinging, right? Right. So that was one thing. Luck, luck, whatever it was, they found her well, while she was still alive. Uh, now, according to her, he actually told her that he had committed those superbike murders back in uh, in the early two thousands. Um. And he also told her about some other people he'd murdered uh, before before her that uh, he'd done the same kind of thing. Could they verify any of this when they looked? There was no way to ver- verify the superbike stuff. Okay. Right? Well, what about um, the other people he murdered? Were there any enough? Let's talk about those. Okay. Um, now, before police actually went and searched this, they did fly over a helicopter, and they're looking for Charles's car, uh, which had gone missing. It was a white car. And they couldn't find it anywhere during the police flyover. But once they start searching the property after they find Kayla, they find it. It had been spray painted brown and covered with brush oh. on that property. Uh, they also, when they start looking around, uh, they find bodies buried on the property. Three bodies. Oh, oh, okay. They find Charles and they find two other people that had gone missing before. Were they able to identify them? Yes, they were. Uh, now, let's talk about them. That is... Johnny Coxie, who's 29 years old, and his wife, Megan McGraw-Coxie. She was 26. Uh, they had also uh, apparently been hired to clear up some brush on his property. Um, was she kept as a... For about a week oh, only. Um, again, he killed Johnny immediately, and he tried to keep Megan as a sex slave, but apparently, according to Kayla, she wasn't very cooperative, and he killed her after a week. So were they there at the same time then? Uh, no, actually, uh, Johnny and Megan went missing back in December of 2015. So he just told her about it. Then. He just told her about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Megan had been dead for, for many months before uh, Kayla was ever brought there. Now, again, they found Johnny and Megan's bodies and they found Charles's body all there on the property. They, they were able to identify Johnny and Megan by tattoos. Um, now, Megan, he actually knew Megan because she worked at a Waffle House that he frequented. Okay. And uh, she had apparently been in jail for a little bit, and he told her he'd give her some work clearing up some brush on his land. And uh, again, they both came up there, killed Johnny, and then kept Megan for a week before killing her. Now, this is going to get even crazier. Okay, more than this guy's keeping sex Sex slaves. Yeah. Um, Now, he told Megan, not just about those murders, he told her that he also killed people for the government and that he had handlers that would get him out of trouble if he was ever caught for this. Um, So it's really weird stuff. I guess he was just delusional then. Yeah, well, I wouldn't know about delusional. Maybe he just wanted to believe is this kind of fantasy. Okay. He also told her he was going to build a house on that property and um, that if she started to have feelings for him by then that uh, they could be in a relationship and she could have the run of the property. Really banking like, on that Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, he basically in. explained the Stockholm Syndrome to her and was just waiting on it to kick in. Oh, my God. Uh, just insane. Insane, right? Um, so you have that. Um you have that he told her he had these high double digit murders, right? Um, and then he also did this crazy thing on Amazon. Okay. Um, 
he would go do reviews on Amazon.com for products and put these crazy murderous sounding product reviews up. Let me give you. Do you have any of them? Yeah. Okay. I got you one here. Um, This is for like a a small folding shovel. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Keeping a car when you have to hide the bodies and left the full size shovel at home does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. A midget? Yeah. We know that's an offensive term, but I'm just quoting the the, the quote he made here. Uh, this was for a chainsaw. Works excellent. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without having an easy-to-use chainsaw. Oh, dear God. And possibly the worst one, a padlock, says, Solid locks have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down until they are too old to care. Holy shit. Yeah. And I'm guessing the in the comments, people just thought he was joking. Well, I mean, yeah. Th- th- I mean, this is just, this is just you know, like, you, they don't he even know who's making really it. really proud just, of this. Yeah, just some strange stuff. And, you know, and he's, on the, he's been on there also making those Facebook posts, those weird, weird-ass Facebook posts on Charles's Facebook. Just all kinds of weird stuff this guy's doing, right? Now, uh, he did confess eventually like, initially he did not involve in any of this stuff like he didn't even know anything about kayla like you can you can see videotape of like him handcuffed in his actual home and police come up to him saying listen we've got kayla we know everything that happened he's like i don't know what you're talking about you know but um finally he does confess uh to several of these things he confesses to killing kayla and to uh charles and to um to uh, Johnny and Megan as well. Mm-hmm. And he also confesses to the Superbike murders. They question him about it because Kayla has mentioned those, right? Did he um, have any information that would lead police to think that he so may have actually done it? This is where it gets a little confusing. Like, there's yes and no on that one. Um, okay. Now, he had uh, apparently bought a, a, a $9,000 2003 Suzuki GSX R750 at Superbike. Uh, in April 2003. Okay. And um, then like 13 days later, he reported it stolen. And he told a lot of people he suspected that somebody that worked at that shop was involved in stealing it from him. Uh, but he would still go down to the shop and check stuff out. right? Okay. But even though he, he had told people he thought they stole it from him. Uh, and he says that he went down there and eventually just went down there and killed them all one day. Uh, just sort of as a revenge for stealing the bike. That's what he told cops. Was that the best he had, though? I suppose so. Now, as I said, um, there are details that line up. However, a professional criminal profiler named Pat Brown, who worked on this case, has said repeatedly she does not think Cole Hepp committed the Superbike murders. Um, she said that a lot of his confession didn't match up with the scene of the crime. Right. And a lot of the details he had right sounded to her like they were fed to him. And there's actually some Could have interview- come from news reports, right? Well, maybe, but a lot of that stuff is you know not released in news reports as well. Okay. Yeah. But there's actually um, video footage of him being interviewed by police where he says some stuff. And, and there are times he denied it to police as well. And there are times he he uh, admitted to it. He did plead guilty to it eventually, right? Mm-hmm. But there's some footage of police interviewing him where he says, yeah, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm doing something good for you guys. Just help you close the books on this stuff you had no clue about. Hmm. Right. That's generous of him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 
it does sound like there's a chance he did not commit the superbike murders, right? Yeah. I, I'm not going to say he did or didn't. And but like they I don't said, have any solid evidence outside of his word? No. No, there is no solid evidence tying to that, other than the fact that he was a known customer and did buy that bike from him. And them. he told, uh, what, what was her name? And he told Kayla that he, he did it. Kayla but did he it. also told Kayla he killed people for the government. Yeah, that's true. You know, stuff like that. He also told her he sold people into sex trafficking and stuff. I mean... Are we certain he didn't do that last we, We're not certain. We, we're not, but there's no evidence of it, right? Uh, we know he did kill a few people, but it's it's hard to say. Um, and then also something that Pat Brown has pointed out and that, that makes a lot of sense to me is that the crimes we know he committed um, with Megan, uh, with Kayla, and with that 14-year-old girl when he was 15, they were all um, sexual in nature. Yeah. And yeah. Now, this superbike murder, obviously, there was nothing sexual about that. There was right, no assault right, or anything. Um, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, now, he did plead guilty to two counts of murder. Okay. Uh, excuse me, sorry, he pleaded guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and uh, one case of criminal sexual assault. Wait, seven counts of murder? Seven. You had uh, the f- um, oh, the three people he murdered at uh, on his property that were found there, and then the four at Superbike. Right, right. And then he didn't, obviously he didn't kill Kayla. He kidnapped her and assaulted her. Right. Um, and he was sentenced to seven life sentences without possibility of parole. So at least we don't have to worry about him getting back out. Right, right. And um, like I said, it's not one of those things where I'm going to say this guy's innocent. I, I don't think he's innocent by no. any means. This dude is very guilty. I think, I think innocent is squarely yeah. off no. the table here. Um, but I am curious if you know if he didn't commit those superbike murders, I I wish we could look back into it and try to find out who actually did commit those because I don't want a murderer out there in the streets that committed right, these yeah, horrible murders. Um, and honestly, like, I don't know what you think about it. I think there's a good chance he did commit them. But again, there was nothing sexual about that. Which is a little strange. It's a little strange. Um, though not taking the money would definitely line up with Culhep. Yeah, right? yeah. But I've been thinking about that money thing, right? There may have been an envelope of cash sitting there. But let's say that maybe they were robbed when, you know, when they uh, they were killed. In my experience, like, um, I grew up around a lot of auto sports, right? And people that... Uh, have like race cars and stuff like that in my experience uh, that sell them that work on them they keep a lot of cash on hand like they deal in cash they get cash in their pocket all the time right like yeah, yeah. several thousand dollars a lot of time right you know because a lot of times they pay cash for something they pay cash for repairs they take cash for repairs they trade stuff all the time right like someone like an owner of a motorcycle shop like that is probably ready to make deals all day long so yeah, he, yeah. there's no time how much cash he might have on him Fair so enough. they may have killed scott and taken money from him and there was still an envelope of cash they just missed i guess that's possible though it seems to me if you're going to murder people particularly over money you'd be pretty you'd be more thorough than that than to leave a envelope filled with it just sitting there well that's true but he could have been surprised by noel or something noel could have showed up and the killer yeah, could have had fair. To maybe he had to rush out after that yeah so you know um and it's hard to say it's hard to say if the superbike murders were at all connected to the bank murders mm-hmm. uh though a lot of people draw a strong connection to them but you know you can't say that there's no he was never charged in uh in relation to the no he was never charged and he has never he's denied involvement in that okay uh, also, he doesn't really fit very well. Like he he was the right age, white male, mm-hmm. right? But he didn't have blonde hair, short blonde hair, Colehep. So, if he was the guy that 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 uh, the other witness saw in there, maybe he misremembered the hair color. Okay, possibly yeah. fair, fair. But I don't know. What you do you never think? know with eyewitness accounts. Maybe yeah, go either way. What do you think? Do you think Colehep may have committed the superbike murder? I mean, it's, it'd be it'd be impossible to rule it out, right? I no, mean, yeah, for sure. He admitted to it to his mm. sex slave. 
Uh, but he again, you're like you said, he, he lied also, to her about a lot of stuff. Yeah, he also told her that he was killing people for the government. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, this is one I, I fell into a real rabbit and hole. And he did have one. some connection to it at least. So yeah, yeah, and it's plausible, very plausible. Like, and like I said, I got into this because I knew about the Superbike murders and how uh, they suspected the wife. They suspected Melissa for so long, right? right. And how you know their DNA tests were wrong, and, and that's that's why I started researching this case this week. I was like, this might be a good thing to talk I mean, about. Of the suspects you've discussed, but, he's easily the the most likely. I would yeah, say. and uh, obviously he pled guilty to it as well. But you know, what was the drawback for him to plead guilty to that? Well, I mean, he's already he going was away going for away for life, yeah. no matter what. Um, and, and maybe he got some leniency for helping out. Maybe they took the death penalty off the table or something, right? Do we know anything about his plea agreement? Uh, we don't. We don't. We know he didn't and get the death penalty. it was penalty. a plea agreement, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he. I mean, he pled guilty, obviously. Right. They gave him an agreement. I'm, I'm assuming they took the death penalty off the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, for pleading guilty, so. I mean, that's the first thing any defense attorney is going to try to do. Yeah. It's particularly if, you've, if you're admitting to killing fucking seven people, I mean. Yeah. W- what else is there to do for you, right? Well, mm-hmm. Let's save your life. Yeah, Colehep, God, he like in, in the interviews, he is just this jacked up guy. You can tell he he wants people to kind of be in awe of him for making for doing these killings. Well, I mean, stuff he seemed it. like he was really proud of what he was doing. Oh yeah, telling Kayla all about it. Like this, this those, guy is so those creepy Facebook messages oh, and the reviews on Amazon. The reviews on Amazon, like I, if you you should just go look those up someday. Like there are a lot of them. They're ridiculous. You guys should check them out. Um, but yeah, this is one of the most interesting cases I've stumbled upon more it, recently. I, this is the first I've heard of it, man. It yeah. is interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, it's not very often. Like, honestly, like, I wonder. God, how old? Do you remember that movie, The Poughkeepsie Tapes? Yeah. Yeah. What year did that come out? Do you think maybe he had got an idea from The Poughkeepsie Tapes to kidnap a woman, make her a sex slave? I don't know. Maybe it was around 2006 or seven. Was that it? I, that may have been because he actually told Kayla that. Um, if she was good enough, he would let her be his assistant in helping killing people. And that's exactly what right, happened to exactly Keepsie Tapes. What happens in that. So I'm wondering if he got an idea from watching that movie. I didn't consider that, but maybe. Yeah, yeah it's so possible. crazy, man. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, he was a really jacked up individual. Um, but yeah, I think that's about all we have to discuss about him. Um, He's else? never getting out, right? No, never getting out. I mean, barring some, like, crazy thing that happened with an investigator on the case or something like that, right, like right. a, uh, you know, a breach protocol or hey, something. They caught him dead to rights with a sex slave. So. Right. Not too much. He pled guilty. So uh, even, even in cases where like a warrant wasn't person. executed properly, yeah. uh, when you plead guilty, I think it's really hard to oh, yeah. get out of that. So I think he's gone for good. I mean, they're innocent people in prison but because they confess, will probably yeah. never get out. Oh, which we discussed. Yeah. Just very recently. Uh, at any rate though, that is the episode. I hope everyone has enjoyed this one. Uh, this is again kind of a return to our normal format, normal dark natured roots. <sighs> this was pretty bad, but at least uh, no children involved, at except this fourteen year old girl. But we did get yeah, in detail about her. about her, right? So we didn't have to do a lot of detail about that. That was just something in the past. Um, but yeah, we would like to thank you for listening slash watching Fact and Suspicion. It helps us a lot if you interact with our uh, videos, podcasts. So like, subscribe, leave a review. But most importantly, tell a friend. Tell someone. Yes, we would love that. Um, If you would like to give us some feedback or maybe suggest a case for us to cover, we're always looking for new suggestions. Drop us an email at factandsuspicion at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Take care.